this great episode here. I'm going to connect to my friends on Instagram. And here we go. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining my 61st. My goodness, we've done 61 of these. My 61st Tech Tuesday show. So good afternoon for those of you all around the world. And for those of you on YouTube, thank you so much for joining me in this session. This is where I get interaction from individuals who follow the BC Moto Instagram handle. And we talk tech and more, which is pretty exciting. And for those of you listening to our podcast, thank you so much for being such loyal listeners. I sincerely appreciate all your efforts. And whether you're jogging, working out, using the loo, walking your dog, whatever the case may be, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And those of you on Instagram, hello everyone. King, good seeing you. Wow, Ismail, that is so kind of you to share that. I am doing well, Arnie SoCal. Hope you are doing fantastic as well. Thank you for joining a new episode of the Beast of Motor Tech Tuesday. Instead of being in the back of my facility, I'm actually inside the interior of a wonderful 2019 Mazda CX-9 Signature Series. It has a beautiful pearl metallic white exterior and this auburn leather interior, which is pretty nice. So it's very great, you know. Wow, Caleb, thank you so much. And Caleb is hitting the ground running. He's asking me to describe twin charging. So in the normal way sense, twin charging is an opportunity where you have the combination of a supercharger and that of a turbocharger system. Hence, taking advantages of both systems and not seeing most of the disadvantages. So let's talk about supercharging. The one thing about supercharging is that when you directly cog it to an engine, where it's installed in an engine, internal combustion, of course, it is absolutely fantastic because you don't experience any lag whatsoever. However, you have limitations based upon the characteristics or engineering of the device where it doesn't allow you to have much higher RPM control and doesn't give you, it gives you a set horsepower based upon the RPM and size of the turbocharger and the pulleys involved. I mean, supercharger and the pulleys involved and whatnot. But a turbocharger gives you much more flexibility, utilizes energy that's typically wasted to the atmosphere through heat, uh, radiation, gas energy that you typically expend to the atmosphere. You're using that to create combustion elements that are much more dense compressing that air that comes into it. So when you combine turbocharging and supercharging, even though it's a little bit more complicated, hello Dip and Deep, good seeing you, it does give you an opportunity where you get the best of both worlds. No lag and really configurable high RPM horsepower. So that's what twin charging is. Complexity is the, ch is the challenge with it. I see a question came in while I was talking. Um, yeah, I was, I was at the Buttonwood Raceway. You should have... Oh, you do work there. How nice, EJ8. I'll be there again soon. Um, thank you so much, Boosted Real Time. Appreciate the kind words. Uh, I see a question came in about... Yes, good afternoon to you as well. Hello, Fox Design. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. And um, Arnie Sokal is asking, how do I like this CX-9? Oh, unfortunately, that's the bad thing about these cars that I get from some manufacturers. I have to give them back. This one is very nice. I mean, look at these seats. It has ventilated seats, which I don't know if you guys can see that. So above and beyond the price point, which this vehicle, as it's fully loaded with the both system, the safety um, amenities, the leather interior, the all-wheel drive, the wood grain, all the beautiful interior sunroof. Um, it's just, 
you know, heated steering wheel, heated seats in the mid 40s. This offers a both system. It offers the luxuries of a car that's twice the, the, the amount. Hello, AJ. Good seeing you. And it's extremely stable. So I had the opportunity, as you may have seen with a photo I put up on Instagram today. For those of you who don't follow me on Instagram, you'll see I put up a photo that it was a Mount Body this weekend in the snow. And I fell in love with four-wheel drive. I've always been like a, a two-wheel drive guy. I've always had front-wheel drives quite a bit and some rear-wheel drives, the Viper, so on and so forth. Hello, Chile Diego. Thank you so much. And an all-wheel drive is such, it's so safe. It felt, while people were struggling up the mountain because we had some snow this weekend, while people were struggling, this thing drove like nothing. It was just so comfortable. Yes, the Mazda Tira R motor is so, it's beautiful. Look at, look at this thing. Look at this. Look at that. That's what you see in a, in a high-end luxury exotic. And I had the entire family here. The kids, they love it. It has this pretty cool entertainment system in the rear for the kids to keep engaged. They can have headphones for them to listen to individually and not disturb us in the front. The safety is great. So as I'm driving, there's this configurable hologram, which exists, that not only tells me about lane change, but it also tells me information about the speed limits in the areas I'm driving in. It gives me the opportunity to have a nice glow if I ever exceed the speed limit. The cruise control is extremely intuitive. And you know what's crazy, guys? Here's what's really, really crazy. <laughs> Psycho said that she worked for a car magazine. I'm really, I just love cars. So here's what's crazy. If I'm driving on the, on the highway at a certain speed and I start to drift away, maybe I get tired or something happens, I start to drift away from my lane, I hear a slight beep beep that comes up and the steering wheel corrects me. Guys, can you believe that? The steering wheel corrects me. It's so crazy, which is amazing, you know? Um, oh, Arnie, you are good. You know, if, if I didn't know any better, I'll, I'll feel like someone planted you. He has a great question. Arnie Sokka was saying, would I coat all components of an engine for heat management? For example, heat shielding in the cooler, intake manifold, protect intercooler piping from heat soak? Yes, I would. And the reason why I say that's such a great question is because Look at what I have in my hand. I have a piston designed by the engineers from Trom. And this is one of the pistons I use in my all-mode application. Yes, I'm spilling all the beans, showing all the secrets. Um, but this, this piston has three different type of coatings. As you may see closely, and for those of you on YouTube, you can see that as well. If you look closely, you see a, an anodized, hard anodized finish near the rings. You see a molly on the skirt and a ceramic barrier coating on the top. Now... These all have advantages. The anodized, hard anodized, really does a great job in keeping integrity of pistons in very harsh environments. So very super high boost, super high compression where you're really pushing engines and, and you're not a big fan of taking your engines apart often to inspect it. This does a great job in preventing wear of the piston in harsh environments and keeping integrity of the ring lands. The molly coating helps reduce friction. So even if you run a great oil like Pure Oil that helps with lubricity, this does a great job in reducing friction that you may see from the wall because, for goodness sakes, the majority of engine power loss is through heat and friction through the rings and the surfaces that actually interact. And here's one of my favorites, the ceramic barrier coating. The elements of combustion, the heat of combustion, should stay in the combustion chamber where it can do work on the piston. And what that means is that the worst thing you can do is absorb heat of combustion. You know when you ignite your mixture with a spark plug, the worst thing you can do is absorb that heat through the crown of the piston this reflects it and keeps it in a combustion chamber so more heat is realized and piston is then pushed down with that energy. So what this does 
is amazing. What I've seen in my own independent testing is 4 to 8% improvement in power with these coatings, primarily the ceramic barrier and the molly alone. So that's something very, which is very nice, you know. How do you handle the cylinder head? Port work and then coast or vice versa? Of course, you port the head first and then, I do, then you do the coatings, which is pretty interesting. Hello, CBUSAE. Kapu, good seeing you as well. Thanks for joining me as well. I appreciate that. Chili's in the house. Live to fend. That is so nice. Thank you so much. And uh, just going over the advantages of coatings on pistons. And this is a Trom piston designed by the engineers at Trom, which is pretty nice. Sam, good seeing you, Sam. Thank you for joining this afternoon. Oh, thank you so much, Daz. Daz sent me some gaskets all the way from the UK. I really appreciate that. He's one of our dealers and a very good friend. So thank you so much. Um, Diego says, hi, BC. My dad makes an Opal Astra with a swapped RB25 all-wheel drive. 900 kg. That is sick. A little bit over 2,000 pounds for the bang. That is really cool. That's a, that must be a fun car. An Opal with a, a RB25. Pretty nice, you know. Who do I recommend for East Coast head work? The only person I've known that's done a good job with heads, especially if you're talking Honda heads, would be Four Piston. I like those guys. It's pretty nice. Wow, Eniola, Nigeria is in the house. Sorry about that. I just changed your perspective, guys, so please forgive me on that. But Nigeria is in the house. Thank you so much for joining us, Nigeria. Thank you so much. NASCAR Tech is in the house as well. <laughs> your car? There you go. Very nice. New Zealand. Wow, you guys are from all around the world. I really appreciate that. Chris asked a great question. He's asking, what do I think will happen with the new Supra and aftermarket? Well, I think it's going to be really embraced. Not because of all the hate it's getting, because it's getting lots of hate there on the interwebs with the design cues and the interaction with BMW, which I don't quite understand the hate. But because of the name Supra, and the fact that it crossed over two platforms is actually very inviting and advantage for aftermarket. Don't be surprised if you see something from us. But I think it's going to be really well embraced. And the price point is absolutely impeccable. To be exist at 50, that's going to be very nice. So I look forward to it. Hello, neighbor MJ Photo. Good seeing you. Do pistons come for J-Series? We're putting together... Yes, it does. So, Marco, I can help you with some designs because, of course, we did J-Series boosted stuff in 2013. So... And we're able to make six figures with that. Avi Kenobi, good seeing you. Thank you so much for joining us. Avi One, great NSX enthusiast. Thank you so much. So, Marco, to answer your question, yes, I'll be more than happy to assist you. You know, what was my first drag event for 2019? I don't know. I haven't seen the schedules yet. Maybe in February, there's an event that will be held in Urbandale or is it Fontana? But it'll be uh, match, rate, ma match Race Madness. So, I plan on taking something out there. You know, um, no, I haven't seen the car wash video yet, Psycho. Um, well, you know, JD's word is saying that 50s plus 15,000 plus over sticker, that's going to happen anyway with a new car. So, um, that being said, is if you want to establish a relationship with, with Toyota dealers, now's the time. So that being said, um, yes, they're going to be mock cars. It's just how things are, you know, any plans for the ECU tune for the CX-9? Um, King, that is completely dependent on our friends from Mazda. So here's my thing. I can't leave well enough alone. This engine is pretty nice, being turbocharged, a 2.5 liter. Makes 225 horsepower, 227, I believe, thereabouts. And uh, over 310 foot-pounds of torque, which is very nice. So lots of torque, but there's opportunity. This thing feels nice. The sport mode does wonderful things with suspension and the shifting points, which is nice. But um, this is not my car. So um, I'm going to ask inquiry from you guys and see what you like. If you would like to see me play with this 
or MX-5 or the Mazda 6, but I want to play with something from Mazda. Their brand is really, really growing on me. There's so much to offer. It's, it's so sad that I would never have appreciated Mazda if I didn't have the opportunity to get exposure to it. And this car is fantastic. Extremely prestigious, very beautiful. Seat seven comfortably, three rows of seats, climate control for the front and the rear, heated seats for front and rear. Nice infotainment system for the kids or people in the back. It's really cool. It's it's really wonderful, you know. Eli Max is asking what my personal favorite car for 2018 is. I would say my personal favorite car, the ones I've tested for 2018. So I've tested two cars this year alone. I've tested the NSX and this one. For 2018, I was really impressed with the Mazda MX-5 because of how nimble and fun it was without having any opportunity to have a ton of power, but has a ton of potential. So I think the MX-5 is a good one. It's pretty nice, you know. Um, I DM'd you about some questions about design and automotive story is what Eniola. Eniola, I would try and get to that as soon as possible. I get hundreds of messages daily. So please hang tight. I'll get to that soon. Our, um, AJ Thompson has a good one. Could you explain the relationship between piston speed, flame propagation, and ability to make reliable power? I read that over 26 meters per second, piston speed loses power efficiency. Well, it depends. So here's what happens. Flame propagation is very important. So you can get to a certain piston speed and then you can outrun the flame for like a better phrase. But there's a caveat that a lot of people don't pay attention to. That speed that you mentioned is highly dependent on flame propagation and the spark energy coming from the spark plug. So with today's materials in terms of kernel forming in the tip of the spark plug, in addition to the millijoules of energy that exists in a spark, meaning if you have a coulomb plug system with a high discharge versus a distributed system where there's not enough time to recharge between firings, you will notice that you can get away with a lot more with high energy column plug systems than distributed. So that number is not a number that is set in stone. It's a number that is determinant on not only the quality of fuel coming into it, the type of fuel that is being used, how it's atomized, but definitely has a huge influence uh, is being heavily influenced on the spark energy from the spark plug itself, which is pretty interesting. So that being said, AJ, here's my rule of thumb because there's so many variables that have to be taken into consideration. Those numbers, that number, that 26 meters per second, 25, 23, 22, not as important as you being able to optimize a system as you build it very nicely. So what does that mean? As we discussed in the previous Tech Tuesdays, Rod ratio has a very big influence on how much energy is being absorbed by side loading, but also can give you an advantage if you go lower in the rod ratio, if you have a large port head. So begin with the end in mind. This is what I do. I think of a project and what I desire to have of it, how much power plan I'm making and reliability, and what is acceptable in terms of output for me, or what's acceptable in terms of teardown and breakdown. And that determines how I build my engines and what parameters go into it. In a nutshell, use the most spark energy that's available to you and try to optimize the fuel as nicely as you can. And as we continue to have advents or, or steps forward in stratification, in direct injection, we're going to have an opportunity to play with that quite a bit. So I hope that helps. Someone just parked next behind me. I didn't know who that is. Anyway, okay. How does one interpret head flow, CFM, to power potential? Is there a formula that figures it out? Yes, there is. So AP, many manufacturers tend to hold very close to their um, uh, chest that bit of information. I think that's Ivy who just who just came by. <laughs> so um, Ivy who just was here, he just came by in the back with a Mercedes. Anyway, um, 
there, my rule of thumb, which is very simple, I'll make this very, very simple for you. Um, <laughs> CFM is not the be all end all, even though it's the key for potential in the head. Because your camshafts, how you actuate that makes a big difference. So, can you have a head that flows, let's say, at half a, let's say, 0.500 inches? And the head flows, let's say, 300 CFM? What if you put a camshaft that's only 250 lift? What happens then? It doesn't realize it. But let's say all things being equal. Let's say that you have the perfect head with a perfect camshaft to actuate and take advantage of that. That being said, a very loose rule of thumb at 25 to 26 inches of depression would be the same amount of power to the wheel as you may see at the head. So what does that mean? In an optimized setup, if you have a head that flows 400 CFM, you have a capability of doing 400 wheel horsepower NA. And this is in a four-cylinder, let's keep it simple, four-cylinder application. If you ever want to make flows 200, you have a chance of doing that 200 um, wheel horsepower. It's very loose. There are more algorithms that are involved, but that's a very loose way of being able to determine. So I hope that helps based upon my experience. Leo, how are you? Good seeing you. Thank you so much. Akmal, hello as well. Good evening indeed, and thank you for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate that very much. Um, Cycles asking, how did I learn all this? Well, my background is in engineering, and despite that, going to school to study what I wanted to study, I focused primarily on fluid dynamics in my chemical engineering curriculum. Above and beyond that, I've always been interested in cars since childhood, so everything I learned, I try to apply towards cars. Now, that put me in a position where I was very curious about how to make things ideal and how to make them very exciting. So, what did I have to do? I experimented my butt off, and I do that till today. I take concepts that are provided by academia. I take concepts that I've learned from people who are gurus in industry, and I put them to the test myself. And I document as I go along. And many times, I'd fail. My goodness, I had tons of failures. Really bad failures. To where there's a point in time as a student that I'd experiment on my race car, my daily driven car at the time, which I used to race on the weekends. And 90% of the things I tested failed. But I learned from it. 10% did well. Fast forward to today, about 20% of the things I experiment with fail because of my experience so far. And 80% of them work extremely well, which is pretty nice. And that opens me up to great things. Opens me up to a lot of ridicule because people don't believe in some of the things I do. But I always think out of the box. But it also opens me to great opportunities, which I continue to learn and, and share with you guys. So why do I do this? Why do I explore an hour out of my time every week to share my experiences with you? Because this country has been good to me. As you may see, we have some people from Nigeria, and that's where I'm from. And this country has been very, very nice and very pleasant to me. So that being said, I do whatever I can to give back. And since manufacturers are very kind to me, for Mazda to give you the opportunity to experience their expertise in engineering, the least I can do is be able to share with the world my experiences, good, bad, or indifferent, and how I like the car. And this Mazda 6.9 is very nice, so I like it very much. Despite being very cloudy, and I've experienced snow, rain, heat, I went to the CES with it in Vegas, the large uh, convention that I shared some information later last week, and it's been absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much for the questions, you know. Dipping Deep is had, have I had any experience with brisk spark plugs? Yes, and I know Martin, the owner, out here in the United States very well. So I've had an experience. We did a lot of experimentation with TRD as far back as 2006. And I like their technology. They really um, have done a great job with their silver brisk spark plugs. They have some new designs right now that do extremely well. Um, I like brisk and I like NGK. I like both brands very well. So I've had a great experience with that. Thank you so much, Kevin. Appreciate the kind words. Who makes good mounts for CB7? 
passport <laughs> by all means give them a call you know um how do you know if exhaust tur if a turbo is too small from the exhaust head flow setup um by putting a sensor a pressure sensor in between the manifold or say the manifold flange and the turbine when you start seeing very high um i would say pressures pressures that are two times the amount of what you create in the intake then you know it's too small i don't like to go past two times the amount. So if I'm doing 20 PSI um, compressor pressure, I don't want to see more than 40 PSI back pressure. When I start getting there, things, bad things start happening, AJ. But you have very good questions. Made in Brazil, <laughs> Pedro. You got Brazilians are so proud. I, I love it, you know. Sherm is asking my thoughts on the new Supra. Um, I shared information a little bit earlier in our interaction today about how well I feel that uh, the aftermarket will embrace that platform primarily because of its heritage. I think it's cool. Um, I expected something like a little different, but the style kind of grew on me, especially since Sam Du and John Sabao did this kind of render that kind of put some TEs on it and, and lowered it. It started looking very good. I think it's a perfect canvas for a lot of modification. Only, not only in the engine bay, in creating a lot more power than 335 horses, but also opportunities for aesthetics, which I think is good. I love blank canvases, which is right. Thoughts on a Vita Killer for a street strip car? I don't think that's a good idea, AP, if you, especially if you do more street and strip because your idle quality won't be as great. And above and beyond that, you don't have that low-end torque that VTEC gives you. Now, if you're a guy who barely drives on the street, by all means, have, have at it. I mean, I'm the one, first one to play around with non-VTEC engines and drive them on the street when I was in school. But it limited me to what camshaft I can go with. So if you want to be able to eat your cake and have it too, we can have low RPM grunt and high horsepower, high RPM capability. VTEC is a good option take it to the dirt i know jeremiah but the car leaves me tomorrow i'd love to but i haven't had a chance i'm sure it'll be a lot of fun maybe i'll get my hands on it again you know which honda engine has the best head flow and what are the figures for f22 or k27 so in terms of intake flow aj the k24 z7 k24 z3 flows a lot more than anything else i've seen from inline four from honda period um on the exhaust it would have to be the K24 from the TSX with individual, individual four ports. F22A, I've seen factory 25 depression at 216 to 222, if my memory serves me correctly, which of uh, those numbers flows more than a lot of ported B series I've seen. The K24Z7, it's, it's in the 300s, which is pretty nice. Any problems with switching back and forth from pure oil to, say, a full synthetic? Well, that's interesting to say that, Leah, because... Pure oil is a full synthetic, especially if you're looking at the Elite Series, unless you're looking at the breaking oil, which is a mineral. Um, so there's no challenge going back and forth. One uh, challenge you will see is I've seen that when I switch over to another synthetic that's not as good as Pure oil, I tend to, which I haven't seen one yet, um, I tend to see on engines that have tappets, much louder tappets, um, I see some evaporative function, which I don't like, which means the oil tends to disappear a little bit, especially with the mobile one. Um... I tend to see less power, so I'm not a huge advocate of that. So I tend to stay with Pure All, which is pretty nice. AP wants to see a beast of my NSX. You know, I'm going to meet with uh, Acura later this week, so I will keep it posted if I have any success with that, you know? Thank you, High Class Customs. I appreciate the kind words, you know? Have I done anything with the new Accord Turbo 2.0? Yes, I have. We have uh, played with one of my good friends who's used our facility to test. So we've done some K-Tuner flashes and cat deletes. And downpipes, which is pretty cool. And they make good power indeed, you know? 
So ITB Kevin says a good point. Says that the new Supra is an, is a is a BMW in disguise. So here's the thing nowadays. It is more cost effective, Kevin and guys, for manufacturers to get together and build cars. It's more cost effective. You can share a lot more engineering. Um, Porsche, for example, one of the brands that I am partial to, especially in the aftermarket realm. Porsche did a lot with Subaru and Toyota. So what a lot of Porsche guys don't know, and some of them call you know Honda's Rice Rockets and Toyota's Rice Rockets, which is interesting. But ASIN gearboxes, which are in a lot of the 996, 997 are ASINs, which are the Toyota brand for the gearboxes. Um, for years, Hyundai had a relationship with Mitsubishi. Dodge did quite a bit with Daimler. Now, Toyota had a great experience doing things with Subaru and now is sharing some technology with BMW, which is not the first time they work together. So this is something that continues to happen and is, is good. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's an opportunity where manufacturers can take the best of their worlds and combine them to create something very exciting, which is very nice. You know, um, so Dippin' Deep, that's kind of a broad question. Dippin' Deep is asking, is there any power or gas mileage from a brisk silver plug versus NGK radium plug? So what I've seen, what we tested with TRD is that we had a copper-based plug, which is from another manufacturer. I think it was, uh, my, what copper was that? I think it was Bosch. And we switched over to both iridium NGK and switched over to brisk silver and we gained power with both, which is pretty nice. So um, if you're comparing iridium to silver, the iridium may have a slight advantage, but if you're comparing it to a copper, definitely either one you can't lose, which is pretty nice. Have I considered getting to suspension setup and tuning set of cars at a shop? If so, I'll move from Canada to help. Thank you so much, Trevor. No, I haven't considered that. I am a huge internal combustion engine EV kind of guy. I focus mostly on the powertrain, and that's my, my expertise and my knowledge base and my interest. So, no, I have not. So, please forgive me. Is a standalone ECU best for a car with factory tunable factory PCM for performance upgrades? So, Nick's asking, if I understand correctly, is a standalone ECU best for a car with a factory untunable factory PCM? Standalones give you advantage whether the ECM is tunable or not. So, in other words, today, you can have an opportunity to put a, let's say, an S2000, a full fledged infinity or you can flash it so that being said the a infinity gives me a lot more flexibility allows me to live in a realm that's outside the limitations of the factory ecu so when i tune a flashed s2000 i am limited to what i can do in terms of control of the driver wire i'm limited to what i can do in terms of knock per cylinder which is very important for safety and reliability but with a full standalone i can not only tune individual cylinders for knock sensing and control but safety as well and do it based upon rpm and load which is pretty nice so that's just one of many things plus it gives me ability ability to put in fail safes which i cannot do with a factory ecu so let's say i end up boosting um an s2000 with a flash i don't have the capability of controlling boost or safety based upon my boost levels or fuel content in terms let's say ethanol content so with Infinity on S2000, I can easily have the opportunity to designate amount of boost based upon the content of ethanol in the fuel system. I can do that with a flash ECU. And what does that mean? That means I can lower boost automatically without the driver caring about that if the E85 goes to E10 or E20. And I can initiate a boost protocol that gives me more boost and more drivability when that concentration is much higher. And I can do that any other way. 
Have I worked with any Audi RS4s? Only flashed them for Canon flashes, but I haven't built one myself, Danny. Do I design and what software do I use? Iniola is asking. Yes, I do quite a bit of design. And when it comes to... Oh, my God. It's almost like I'm going to be promoting them if I talk about it. But let's say um, I use a software program that is very user-friendly. Um, it's not SolidWorks. I don't use that. Um, I don't know if I should tell you guys or not. Maybe think about that. <laughs> it's a good system. Put it this way. It's one that allows me to share information with any of the other engineers around the world. And you can adopt it easily. And it's cloud-based. So for those of you who are in that world, you probably figured out which software program I'm talking about. Um, so following up on a previous question, AJ is asking, are CFM and reliable power proportional assuming all things being equal? Um, CFM is just a capability for an engine. What you end up finding out is that most engines that have a very high CFM flow tend to have very low RPM uh, velocity capabilities. Meaning the easiest way to get a lot more CFM overhead is a larger cross-section area. And it gets to a point where you start sacrificing low-end drivability for high RPM power. So it doesn't have much to do with reliability. It just has to do with drivability more than anything else. You know? Which plug do I use with Boost? So, King, it depends. I kind of have a rule of thumb when it comes to Boost. So, you know, most, most engines come with, like, let's say, six heat range or seven heat range. Some even five. But I tend to use this very loose rule of thumb. If I'm going 100 to 200 above factory um, horsepower ratings, I tend to go one step colder and continue with that until I run out of heat ranges. That's a very loose rule of thumb. The great way to do is to read your plugs to see if you're being able to burn off any contaminants on the porcelain. The reason why, I wish I had a spark plug to show you guys, but how a spark plug is differentiated from hot to cold is how quickly the porcelain joins the outside shell of the spark plug. So if a porcelain travels a long distance before it joins the shell, that means that, that porcelain gets pretty hot and can self-clean itself very easily. But sometimes that can create a hot spot and in introduce detonation. So when you have a quarter plug, what happens is that long porcelain tends to join the outside shell of the spark plug, you know, the part that threads in, much quicker. Hence, absorbing heat or releasing heat into the head much quicker, hence being a quarter plug. Put it this way, on engines that make three, 400 horsepower in line four engines, I tend to go with like a seven heat range plugs using NGK nomenclature. If I'm starting to hover into the six, 700 range, I go to an eight. When I start getting to four digits, I can go to a nine or a 10. So I hope that helps. Let's see, Black uh, come to me saying, Dodge, Mitsubishi, Hyundai, all have their vehicles, 4G and D63 with equal stability. Yes, that's true. Yes, they all differ. And a lot of those parts are interchangeable as well, you know? So, let's see. Wow, so many quick questions here. Am I left or right-handed? Uh, rise, I'm right-handed. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, have I ever thought of a possibility of developing BC Motor Edition of a production car like Hennessy, Rush, or, or Celine? Yes, I have. And we got very close with Honda to some extent. But I don't know what happened with that. It didn't come to fruition. And Hyundai has posed some interest, but you never know. Maybe Mazda be the one. But I've given a lot of thought. I like to be able to provide on a larger scale my mindset or my touch on automobiles. So let's see what happens with Mazda. You never know. Good day, 211S Performance. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. I sincerely appreciate that. Um, wow, Minnesota's in the house. Dilly, I'm there from time to time. It must be really cold there in Minnesota right now, which is pretty interesting, you know? 
I think good is asking if I could rebuild one of my old builds using technology that was not available at the time, what would I do? Huh, that's a great question. So I would probably rebuild the first Porsche I had, which is the blue 911 with the two twin turbos hanging in the rear. That has an AM uh, Series 2 on it and doesn't run on flex fuel. I have Watermath. I'd love to be able to, just on a simplistic level, upgrade to an Infinity and convert that to full flex fuel capability. I think that would release a lot more power on that, which would be very nice. And allow me to create a lot more power with a little bit more ignition timing as well, which should be nice, you know? Oh, it's not bad. 35 degrees. Dilly, if 35 degrees happened here at our shop, I think people would kill themselves. Which <laughs> is pretty crazy. That's pretty cold, but that's good to know that you have a positive spin on that. Hello, Leo. Good seeing you. Thank you for joining me this afternoon as well. My pleasure, Nick. I'm here to help. Thank you, Theos. Theos. <laughs> Adam Bendov. Good afternoon, sir. So good to see you. Thank you, AP. I appreciate that. I'm here to help. My pleasure indeed. Build an 8th Gen Civic. I'd like to, DJ, but Honda kicked my butt. <laughs> they want me to really focus on newer things. So most likely if I build any Civic, it would be a 10th Gen going into the 11th generation, you know? Uh, people wearing flip-flops around. Yeah, that's kind of common thing out in Hawaii, I'm sure. Hello, the perfect father. Very cool name, by the way. B20 VTEC versus LS VTEC. Any differences between this behind displacement? Well, it depends on what head you choose, but no, the displacement is a huge advantage. Um, so that being said, going from 1.8 to 2.0, there are opportunities there. One thing we did notice is that the sleeves from factory on the um, B20 is a lot thinner. So you have chances of some fracturing if you push it too far, but displacement is a good thing there by all means, you know? Do you only deal with powertrains and what's the path plan for the future? So Enola is asking a great question. Do you only deal with powertrains? That's why I typically deal with... So when it comes to anything suspension-wise, I tend to defer that to some of the experts, whether it's progress suspension or KW, I tend to go to those guys. When it comes to internal combustion engines, all the technology is being you know, utilized here in our facility, and we have the opportunity to create and design. And if it's something that we cannot manufacture in-house, we partner with people who can do that for us, meeting our exacting standards, and we make things happen. Well, now, what's the future? Well, I spent some very good time in Las Vegas this past week for a good reason. To explore the possibilities of future, I would say, technologies when it comes to propulsion. And everyone is going EV. You should see the booths that I put up last week for those of you who didn't join me. That um, Hyundai and Ford and Mitsubishi and Nissan. You should see what people are doing. They're, they're investing heavily in EV technology and combining, in many cases, petrol engines with electric motor technology or going full electric or using them as Mazda's playing with now a range extender. So that being said, you're going to see a lot more EV applications. And I am embracing that technology. So from BC Motor, you'll see a lot more hybrid technology and eventually full EV opportunities. Where cars will be electric. And I'm a huge advocate of enjoying your cars. So um, level 5 autonomy, it's cool, but not really my thing. I like to see maybe a level 4, maybe a pseudo level 3 where you can still take over and have interaction, where you can drive the cars properly when need be. But to allow you to have a more productive life, when you're driving, you could drive autonomously. I can interact with you guys or do some work or send emails, interact with the family, so on and so forth. So I hope that helps. What is better, K or B series from Honda or something better? Uh, the K is by far the B better than B series in terms of every way. Aftermarket support, head flow, so on and so forth. I understand that some people... 
see the B-Series as a small block Chevy of the Honda world. But when it comes to technology, power potential, and so on and so forth, even though people are doing great things with B-Series, K-Series is, is, is vastly uh, superior in many ways. How many years have I opened my shop at B-Series Engineering? I opened up to the public in 2006. So that's how long I've been open to the public. But I've been playing with cars and experimenting since 1994. So I've been doing this for quite a while. But prior to me having BC Motor Engineering available to the public, I was in the pharmaceutical sector, started off in research and got into sales and leadership. Mac, please do share. <laughs> do I like racing? If so, what series and what car? Ivan, I love racing a lot. Racing is what got me into this business in the first place. It's what got me in trouble many times. I started off drag racing and now I have, you know, kind of mixed things up and I've done a little bit of half mile and a lot of bit of road racing as well. I was even a button willow this past Tuesday, which is pretty exciting. So that being said, a little bit of both. But in terms of seat time, I've done more drag racing than anything else. So forgive me if I haven't done a good job in sharing my racing background it's something that put me where I am today. It's where I had to experiment to remain competitive, even though I was on a slim budget. And it taught me something very valuable for many years. You want to do it right the first time, it's much more cost effective. If you cheapen out on products, cheapen out on a way to get from point A to point B and solving your problems or getting to make your engines more efficient, you will pay for it a lot more. So that kind of put me in a position where I'm here to help and let you guys know that many times doing things cheap doesn't work out almost all the time it's not worth it uh, so why did they flip the k-series i don't know what you mean by that sir i'm so sorry forgive me you know would i ever get down on the street again no aj so i'm sorry aj hello dealing good seeing you i think aj is referring to my street racing days i i'll be honest with you guys i don't condone this i didn't know any better i was a young student and I used to do a lot of street racing. And street racing put me in a position where I made lots of money. It was a lot of fun. I was in the bed of that in, in L.A. It was before the whole Fast and Furious thing. So we didn't have any problems. But once the, mu the movie came out, the first Fast and Furious, it kind of opened a lot of people up to that underground world. And a lot of people started being very irresponsible and getting hurt. So I came out to Ontario to race once. And I saw someone pass away. I saw someone crash in a Mustang and die. And that was it, cold track. I never street raced again. I kept it to the track. And ever since then, I've only done track racing in a controlled environment that's safe, you know? So, I say, thank you so much, High Cars Customs. Intake in the front, header in the back. Intake in the front, header in the back. So, are you saying why did they switch it? Um, they did more than that. The rotation of the engine changed. So, as you know, the D series and the H series, all those tend to turn kind of clockwise, which is not very common. Um, the K-Series turned clockwise. So if you look at that in that application, it didn't really change. <laughs> the orientation changed. And based upon the direction of turning, things kind of stay the same. So it looks like that. But um, in terms of, even from a balance perspective, for those of us who drive on the part of the hemisphere where it's left-hand drive, it makes for a much more balanced application. So it, it's, it is improvement no matter what, you know? What would be a good platform for an all-motor K engine? I would say what I use for my drag car, the 2006 Thereabout Insight, which is pretty nice. Ha! <laughs> You're funny, AJ. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Dilly. My pleasure indeed. Uh, oh, nice. Oh, the car enthusiasts. I remember that. I think we were in um, 
the interview. I think we were at the Honda Center in Anaheim. My pleasure. Anytime, sir. Thank you, Absolute Kevin. What kind of car did I street race? It was my 1988 Honda CRX. And what I should do, because I think we've reached the statute of limitations when it comes to that, what I think I should do is digitize a lot of tapes I have. I have a lot of tapes of street racing in Compton, in Wilmington. And, you know, Dr. Charles is there. I'm there. Lucky Mike. A lot of old school guys. Um, like, real time. This is not perpetrating. This is real hardcore stuff. Four or five hundred people. All racing. No problems whatsoever. Some of the guys racing us were cops. Yes, we had police officers racing with us. Which is pretty crazy. And it was, you know, no problems. We didn't have any problems whatsoever. But that movie, as much as it's created a great opportunity and really put a shine of light on the car culture, um, it did horrible things for street racing. A lot of people who had no business doing it came out and people started getting hurt. And it created a lot of attention and got a lot of us in trouble. So I stopped, which is very nice, you know. Would I let my Ferrari loose in the wagon van for one take? Yes, I would. That's actually our plan. So I want to do some suspension changes, speaking of suspension, to the wagon even today. Uh, there's some components I want to be able to draw up and have machined. Um, I may have to get a, a large CNC machine here and start doing my own things. But anyway, so there's some stuff I want to do. So by all means, um, after I do that modification and play with some more on the dyno, because I, I haven't had a chance. I've been taking care of customers and clients. I haven't done anything myself. So I won't be able to do that. Any chance of doing anything with the Miata? The ND? It's possible as we continue to solidify our relationship with Mazda. Stay tuned. I will definitely let you guys know. What's my life motto, Eniola's asking? Anything worth doing is worth doing well. And I try and do that in every facet of my life. From my personal life, to business, to technology. Anything worth doing is worth doing well. Yes, I do remember. Of course, the card is. Yes, I do remember. Bring the CRX back, fast NA single cam. Yeah, the Insight got much faster. So the Insight is at the office. I definitely am bringing that back. My CRX, I sold to one of my friends who's my electrician. Under the guys that they promised to be able to um, help me bring it back on the track where it belongs. And they haven't done it. I'm kind of sad. I probably should give them a call. But the Insight, by all means. Any ideas on Tune Kehikan? How are you guys preparing for electric, for electric future? So, great question, Joa Pola. Joa Pacheco. Joa Pacheco 91. Okay. Yes, there are ideas. Being able to get access to the inverters and control it differently can do a wonderful job in being able to tune take-ons, which is Porsche's answer to the Tesla. Putting Porsche's spirit, no substitute attitude, into electric vehicles. And how am I preparing? By exposing myself as much as possible to that technology through OEM manufacturers, through our own efforts, and attending as many seminars as possible that embrace that technology, including what I went to last week, in Las Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show. If I was to become RX-7, how would you go about making stupid power with a rotary? First, I would educate myself immensely on the Wankel engine. I wouldn't use a Renesis because I do understand the challenges that they have with seals and the ports and how the exhaust port tends to go through a more convoluted manner. So I'd probably use an earlier Legacy 13B. I would definitely go multi-rotor. So I would do something like a 20-row, a 20, a, you know, a B20 or 20B. Uh, it would definitely be a four-rotor at a minimum, probably. Three-rotor, maybe. Four-rotor, definitely something I like to do. So the more rotors for me, the better. That's what I would do. And of course, I'll boost it because I love boost power. I love how those things sound, you know? When one door closes, another does open. That is correct, DJ Radmarov. Good seeing you, sir, in Southern California. I appreciate that indeed. 
Would I ever sell to Odyssey? I don't plan to, but for the right price and the right enthusiast, I probably would, you know? My pleasure, Eniola. I appreciate the kind words all the way from Niger. Thank you so much, you know? What would be the highest reliable RPM for an overhead cam engine without considering an engine a consumable? It depends primarily on the rocker assembly. So I've seen that has been the weakest spot on an engine. So roller rockers, which are quite heavier than finger follow rockers, which are much heavier than direct interaction with a bucket or multiple buckets. And the weight and design of those. So we've seen um, pseudo bucket rocker arm assemblies that don't last very well post 7200. I've seen uh, finger follow rocker arm assemblies that last very well into the 10,000 range. And then buckets, you can, wow, you can do 20,000 RPMs, 17,000 RPMs, 18,000 RPMs, which is also determined on weight. So, AJ, great questions, but so many factors are involved with that, which is pretty interesting. Most memorable engine failure I've had. Ooh, that's a good one. Palmdale with my D-Series, where I was being cheap. <laughs> so what I mean by being cheap, I decided that I didn't want to invest in connecting rods when I was playing around with my D-Series NA, which is a D15 I built. So I went and had custom pistons made. No problem there, right? But I used LS rods for my drag program. So I take LS rods, I would remove the forging marks, flash forging marks on it. Then I would shop peen them and then use factory new rod bolts. And I felt that was the best solution for me for high RPM power. And I think at the time I was making maybe 186 to the wheels with the D-Series at the time, NA. And I was in Palmdale racing. I was in the semi-final round against a B-Series guy. And we began the race and one of my rods let go. The smaller end of my rod cut. And by the way, these are used rods, not new rods. So as the rod broke, I didn't let off the track. I had to beat this B-Series guy. It's starting to rain. Hey. Anyway, so I'm mashing out. I'm in third gear. Engine lets go. Plume of smoke. I'm beating the guy I didn't let off. So I stayed in it. Won the race, but I oiled a majority of the track. When I went to the pits, there was a big window in my block. And then the, the, the remnants of my catastrophe was so bad that it actually cut into my gasket with this large window and the rod just hanging out. Now, here's what was weird. Why is it so memorable? Yeah, I, I threw a rod. I put a nice window in my engine. But the sanctioning body, Battle of the Imports at the time, wouldn't pay me for being, let's say, third place or runner of a second place, whatever the case may be, if I didn't break the beam at the light. So I had my team. If Big John is here, you can attest to this. We pushed the car all the way to the line. Hole in block. The guy I was racing the finals next to me. And then when it had time for us to stage, I started the car, <laughs> ringing and bling, 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 all this noise, and broke the second beam and turned it off. Oiling the track again, just so that I can make money <laughs> for that second place. Of course, I didn't win because the guy launched and then nothing happened with me. But I broke the beam uh, by pre-staging and staging and got my second place trophy and resources. That was a pretty crazy thing and. The track officials weren't happy that I oiled the track. When you are drag racing, if you have a, a failure, the thing to do is to pull over to the side. Just stop the car as, quick, as safely as you can and pull over. And that's a great thing. It's for your safety and, and, and for saving resources for the track. But I was being very naughty, which is pretty sad, you know? 
was estimated to build a vehicle similar to your Odyssey. So DV, I built that, the team built that Odyssey in seven weeks and it cost me $50,000 to do. 50, 51,000. So it's pretty, pretty expensive at the time because a lot of things were custom one-off. To replicate it now may shave, since we already did a lot of the homework. Man, you know, the challenge was the integration of the harness into the system and allowing everything to work like factory because the PDM does talk to my ECU, to my standalone. <sighs> probably in the 30s. You can probably work it in the 30s. Hello, Mama Lakis. Good seeing you. Hello. Greetings, DJ in Brazil. Part Auto, of course. I love to run them. They're great. <laughs> do you get fined if you drop antifreeze or oil on the track? Nowadays, I think they do. Um, at the time, they didn't require us to have a diaper. Yes, like a diaper, that's what they call it. But now, you have to have a diaper or some containment device. Or you could be, you know, definitely fined, you know. Hello, S2 Boost. Good seeing you. Good morning, Boosted FC3. Greetings. Hope all is well. And I don't know if you got my email. I did write back to you today, which is pretty nice. I've, it's been extremely busy here with me being away. C. Perez, have a great one as well. Yeah, we're getting close to that time. Instagram tends to cut me off if I don't do something, you know, nice, you know. Ronsworth says, thank you for that golden nugget, BC. I assume the LS ride was good until about 400 horsepower. That's with the LS motors. Uh, I also want to thank you for your vernacular, listening to someone such as yourself speak. Actually becomes intelligent. I applaud you for that. Thanks for the kind words. I appreciate that indeed, you know. Uh, my fastest quarter mile, 80 zips is asking. Uh, 920 is the fastest I've done. And um, uh, that was in my insight, my NA insight, which I hope to go faster with my wagon. <laughs> it was pretty interesting, you know. Thank you so much, 64 Steve. Appreciate that, you know. We have a chance, brother. I DM you okay as, as to boost. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I appreciate all that. I get so many DMs. And I, there are times I literally spend an hour and a half sitting down. Trying to respond to everyone is so difficult, but I'm trying my best. So thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you, 80 Zips. My pleasure indeed. Thank you. So guys, oh wow. Okay, it's time. So I do have to depart. But once again, thank you so much for interacting with me today. And thanks also to Mazda for allowing me the opportunity to explore this beautiful CX-9. It's absolutely gorgeous car. Offers a lot more than you typically see in a car twice the amount. I, mean, I expect to see this kind of technology and luxury in cars that are deep in the six figures. So thank you so much. Um, Black is asking, um, what happened to the turbo hybrid CRZ? It's right here in my office. So um, I was able to sell it to one of my good friends, who's my bank manager. And um, he felt that the 500 horsepower plus was too much. So we detuned it to 350. Because he was breaking transmissions like crazy. So it's detuned. But it's here in my facility for safekeeping. Be someone at ASX. Amen. Thank you so much. You know, appreciate that. You know, um, oh wow. So, oh, such good questions. And now I have to go. But, so now ask your question. He said, now that I started in the pharmaceutical field, how much did I impact my perspective in the current terrain? It impacted significantly. It really allowed me the opportunity to interact with people who are in a more technological field, being pharmaceuticals. And I also informed my research before I went to, to uh, sales or before I get to leadership. But I tend to use that ability to interact with people on my day-to-day -day activities here. 
from a technology perspective, I don't use that technology in what I do automotive-wise. But when it comes to interaction with people, it's pretty nice. Kevin says I really don't have to go, um, but they're going to cut me off if I don't. Okay, let's give it a few more. Let's give it a few more minutes. Um, so I was saying, Mazda, thank you so much for the great opportunity to drive this CX-9. It's awesome. Extremely stable. I am sold on all-wheel drive terrain if I wasn't even before my wagon. But the interior is beautiful, and I feel so sad I have to give this back. But such is life. I should probably buy one of these. This is very nice. My family loved it immensely. Thoughts on the new Supra Z4? You missed it, sir or madam. <laughs> you missed it. Um, I talked about it a lot. In a nutshell, I think it's a good platform. I appreciate the engineering prowess of both companies and how they combine to come up with a platform that can be enjoyable by different types of enthusiasts. I look forward to it being a blank canvas for the aftermarket. And I look forward to possibly playing around with one of those and creating some opportunities for people to enjoy it better and to create opportunities for people to make it their own. You know? A BC Miata would be great. Kevin, stop it. I would love to be able to play with that because I had a lot of fun with the MX-5. For a car that doesn't have that much power, it's a lot of fun. So all it needs is some BC Motor Magic and that thing would be awesome. And I'd love to be able to build one and document it. Largest engine I've ever physically built would be one out of the 5th Gen Viper. 8.4 liters of fury. That's a big engine. Quite simple, too, for an engine that existed in the past decade, which is pretty interesting. Rainy San Francisco is in the house cycle. Thank you for joining me. And, you know, it's going to rain here very soon, too. It's already starting to sprinkle. But I'm inside this. Look at the seats. Look at, look at how awesome this seat is. This is so great. It's so wonderful. Greetings as well. It's, it's, it's amazing. And for those of you who didn't, who didn't catch this, who came in late, I talked a lot about piston coatings. This is a Tron piston with a ceramic battery coating. Hard anodized side and also a molly. You know, we talked about that quite a bit. Yep, a push rod V10. That's exactly what it is. That's camshaft right in the middle. It's pretty interesting. Anyway, okay, guys, have a great one. It's a pleasure interacting with you. And I do take criticism constructively. So for those of you listening to me on the podcasting, for those of you seeing me on Instagram, and for those of you on YouTube, please, anything you can do to allow me to improve on this, I'm here for you. Would you like me to talk more tech? Would you like me to have different vehicles? Would you like me to get more in-depth, have more of a review of the cars I'm in? Let me know. I'm here to help. Chess Republic. Wow, this is great. To have a global audience makes me feel great. But anyway, guys, I must fly. Plus, my good friend Avi is over here. Hello, Alfie. Thank you so much, Black. Good seeing you. Um, talk to you soon. See you next week. Cheers. Take care. This great episode here. I'm going to connect to my friends on Instagram. And here we go. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining my 61st. My goodness, we've done 61 of these. My 61st Tech Tuesday show. So good afternoon for those of you all around the world. And for those of you on YouTube, thank you so much for joining me in this session. This is where I get interaction from individuals who follow the BC Moto Instagram handle. And we talk tech and more, which is pretty exciting. And for those of you listening to our podcast, thank you so much for being such loyal listeners. I sincerely appreciate all your efforts. And whether you're jogging, working out, using the loo, walking your dog, whatever the case may be, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And those of you on Instagram, hello everyone. King. 
Good seeing you. Wow. Ismail, that is so kind of you to share that. I am doing well, Arnie Sokal. Hope you are doing fantastic as well. Thank you for joining a new episode of the BC Motor Tech Tuesday. Instead of being in the back of my facility, I'm actually inside the interior of a wonderful 2019 Mazda CX-9 Signature Series. It has a beautiful pearl metallic white exterior and this auburn leather interior, which is very nice. So it's very great, you know? Wow, Caleb, thank you so much. And Caleb is hitting the ground running. He's asking me to describe twin charging. So in the normal way sense, Twin charging is an opportunity where you have the combination of a supercharger and that of a turbocharger system. Hence, taking advantages of both systems and not seeing most of the disadvantages. So let's talk about supercharging. The one thing about supercharging is that when you directly cog it to an engine, where it's installed in an engine, internal combustion, of course, it is absolutely fantastic because you don't experience any lag whatsoever. However, you have limitations based upon the characteristics or engineering of the device where it doesn't allow you to have much high RPM control and doesn't give you, it gives you a set horsepower based upon the RPM and size of the turbocharger and the pulleys involved, I mean supercharger and the pulleys involved and whatnot. But a turbocharger gives you much more flexibility, utilizes energy that's typically wasted to the atmosphere through heat, uh, radiation, gas energy that you typically expend to the atmosphere. You're using that to create combustion elements that are much more dense by compressing that air that comes into it. So when you combine turbocharging and supercharging, even though it's a little bit more complicated, hello Dippin' Deep, good seeing you, it does give you an opportunity where you get the best of both worlds. No lag and really configurable high RPM horsepower. So that's what twin charging is. Complexity is the, ch is the challenge with it. I see a question came in while I was talking. Um, yeah, I was, I was at a button with a raceway. You should have, oh, you do work there. How nice, EJ8. I'll be there again soon. Um, thank you so much, Boosted Real Time. Appreciate the kind words. Uh, I see a question came in about, yes, good afternoon to you as well. Hello, Fox Design. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. And, um, Arnie Soka is asking, how do I like this CX-9? Oh, unfortunately, that's the bad thing about these cars that I get from some manufacturers. I have to give them back. This one is very nice. I mean, look at these seats. It has ventilated seats, which I don't know if you guys can see that. So above and beyond the price point, which this vehicle, as it's fully loaded with the bolt system, the safety um, amenities, the leather interior, the all-wheel drive, the wood grain, all the beautiful interior sunroof. Um, it's just, you know, heated steering wheel, heated seats. In the mid-40s, this offers... A Bose system. It offers the luxuries of a car that's twice the, the, the amount. Hello, AJ. Good seeing you. And it's extremely stable. So I had the opportunity, as you may have seen with a photo I put up on Instagram today. For those of you who don't follow me on Instagram, you'll see I put up a photo that it was at Mount Body this weekend in the snow. And I fell in love with four-wheel drive. I've always been like a, a two-wheel drive guy. I've always had front-wheel drives quite a bit and some rear-wheel drives, the Viper, so on and so forth. Hello, Chile Diego. Thank you so much. And an all-wheel drive is such, it's so safe. It felt, while people were struggling up the mountain because we had some snow this weekend, while people were struggling, this thing drove like nothing. It was just so comfortable. Yes, the Mazen Tira R motor is so, it's beautiful. Look at, look at this thing. Look at this. Look at that. That's what you see in a, in a high-end luxury exotic. And 
I had the entire family here, the kids, they love it. It has this pretty cool entertainment system in the rear for the kids to keep engaged. They can have headphones for them to listen to individually and not disturb us in the front. The safety is great. So as I'm driving, there's this configurable hologram which exists that not only tells me about lane change, but it also tells me information about the speed limits in the areas I'm driving in. It gives me the opportunity to have a nice glow if I ever exceed the speed limit. The cruise control is extremely intuitive. And you know what's crazy, guys? Here's what's really, really crazy. <laughs> Psycho said that she worked for a car magazine. I'm really, I just love cars. So here's what's crazy. If I'm driving on the, on the highway at a certain speed and I try to drift away, maybe I get tired or something happens, I start to drift away from my lane, I hear a slight beep beep that comes up and the steering wheel corrects me. Guys, can you believe that? The steering wheel corrects me. It's so crazy, which is amazing, you know? Um, oh, Arnie, you are good. You know, if, if I didn't know any better, I'll, I'll feel like someone planted you. He has a great question. Arnie Sokal is saying, would I coat all components of an engine for heat management? For example, heat shielding, intercooler, intake manifold, protect intercooler pipe from heat soak. Yes, I would. And the reason why I say that's such a great question is because look at what I have in my hand. I have a piston designed by the engineers from Trom. And this is one of the pistons I use in my all-mode application. Yes, I'm spilling all the beans, showing all the secrets. Um, but this, this piston has three different type of coatings. As you may see closely, and for those of you on YouTube, you can see that as well. If you look closely, you see a, an anodized, hard anodized finish near the rings. You see a molly on the skirt and a ceramic barrier coating on the top. Now, these all have advantages. The anodized, hard anodized, really does a great job in keeping integrity of pistons in very harsh environments. So, very super high boost, super high compression where you're really pushing engines and, and you're not a big fan of taking your engines apart often to inspect it. This does a great job in preventing wear of the piston in harsh environments and keeping integrity of the ring lands. The molly coating helps reduce friction. So even if you run a great oil like Pure Oil that helps with lubricity, this does a great job in reducing friction that you may see from the wall because for goodness sakes, the majority of engine power loss is through heat and friction through the rings and the surfaces that actually interact. And here's one of my favorites, the ceramic barrier coating. The elements of combustion, the heat of combustion should stay in the combustion chamber where it can do work on the piston. And what that means is that the worst thing you can do is absorb heat of combustion. You know when you ignite your mixture with a spark plug, the worst thing you can do is absorb that heat through the crown of the piston. This reflects it and keeps it in a combustion chamber so more heat is realized and piston is then pushed down with that energy. So what this does is amazing. What I've seen in my own independent testing is four to 8% improvement in power with these coatings, primarily the ceramic barrier and the molly alone. So that's something very, which is very nice, you know? How do you handle the cylinder head? Port work and then coast or vice versa? Of course you port the head first and then, I do, then you do the coatings, which is pretty interesting. Hello CBUSAE, Kapu, good seeing you as well. Thanks for joining me as well, I appreciate that. Chili's in the house. Live to fend. That is so nice. Thank you so much. And uh, just going over the advantages of coatings on pistons. And this is a Trom piston designed by the engineers at Trom, which is pretty nice. Sam, good seeing you, Sam. Thank you for joining this afternoon. Oh, thank you so much, Daz. Daz sent me some gaskets all the way from the UK. I really appreciate that. He's one of our dealers and a very good friend. So thank you so much. Um, Diego says, hi, BC. My dad makes an Opal Astra with a swapped RB25 all-wheel drive. 900 kg that is sick a little bit over 2,000 pounds 
for the bangles. That is really cool. That's a that must be a fun car. An Opal with a, a RB25. Pretty nice, you know. Who do I recommend for East Coast head work? The only person I've known that's done a good job with heads, especially if you're talking Honda heads, would be Four Piston. I like those guys. It's pretty nice. Wow, Eniola, Nija is in the house. Sorry about that. I just changed your perspective, guys, so please forgive me on that. But Nigeria is in the house. Thank you so much for joining us, Nigeria. Thank you so much. NASCAR Tech is in the house as well. <laughs> your car? There you go. Very nice. New Zealand? Wow, you guys are from all around the world. I really appreciate that. Chris asked a great question. He's asking, what do I think will happen with the new Supra and aftermarket? Well, I think it's going to be really embraced. Not because of all the hate it's getting, because it's getting lots of hate there on the interwebs with the design cues and the interaction with BMW, which I don't quite understand the hate. But because of the name Supra, and the fact that it crossed over two platforms is actually very inviting and advantage for aftermarket. Don't be surprised if you see something from us. But I think it's going to be really well embraced. And the price point is absolutely impeccable. To be exist at 50, that's going to be very nice. So I look forward to it. Hello, neighbor MJ Photo. Good seeing you. Do pistons come for J-Series? We're putting together... Yes, it does. So, Marco, I can help you with some designs. Because, of course, we did J-Series boosted stuff in 2013. So... And we're able to make six figures with that. Avi Kenobi, good seeing you. Thank you so much for joining us. Avi One, great NSX enthusiast. Thank you so much. So, Marco, to answer your question, yes, I'll be more than happy to assist you. You know, what was my first drag event for 2019? I don't know. I haven't seen the schedules yet. Maybe in February, there's an event that will be held in Urbandale or is it Fontana? But it'll be a match, rate, match race madness. So, I plan on taking something out there. You know, um, no, I haven't seen the car wash video yet, Psycho. Um, well, you know, JD's word is saying that 50s plus 15,000 plus over sticker, that's going to happen anyway with a new car. So, um, that being said, it's, if you want to establish a relationship with, with Toyota dealers, now's the time. So that being said, um, yes, they're going to be more cars. It's just how things are, you know, any plans for the ECU tune for the CX-9? Um, King, that is completely dependent on our friends from Mazda. So here's my thing. I can't leave well enough alone. This engine is pretty nice, being turbocharged, a 2.5 liter. Makes 225 horsepower, 227, I believe, thereabouts. And uh, over 310 foot-pounds of torque, which is very nice. So lots of torque, but there's opportunity. This thing feels nice. The sport mode does wonderful things with suspension and the shifting points, which is nice. But um, this is not my car. So um, I'm going to ask inquiry from you guys and see what you like. If you would like to see me play with this or MX-5 or the Mazda 6. But I want to play with something from Mazda. Their brand is really really growing on me. There's so much to offer. It's, it's so sad that I would never have appreciated Mazda if I didn't have the opportunity to get exposure to it. And this car is fantastic. Extremely prestigious. Very beautiful. Seat 7 comfortably. Three rows of seats. Climate control for the front and the rear. Heated seats for front and rear. Nice infotainment system for the kids or people in the back. It's really cool. It's, it's really wonderful, you know. Eli Max is asking what my personal favorite car for 2018 is. I would say my personal favorite car, the ones I've tested for 2018. So I've tested two cars this year alone. I've tested the NSX and this one. For 2018, I was really impressed with the Mazda MX-5 because of how nimble and fun it was without having any opportunity to have a ton of power, but has a ton of potential. So I think the MX-5 is a good one. It's pretty nice, you know? Um, I DM'd you about some questions about design and automotive 
story is what Eniola. Eniola, I will try and get to it as soon as possible. I get hundreds of messages daily. So please hang tight. I'll get to that soon. Our, um, AJ Thompson has a good one. Could you explain the relationship between piston speed, flame propagation, and ability to make reliable power? I read that over 26 meters per second, piston speed loses power efficiency. Well, it depends. So here's what happens. Flame propagation is very important. So you can get to a certain piston speed, and then you can outrun the flame for like a better phrase. But there's a caveat that a lot of people don't pay attention to. That speed that you mentioned is highly dependent on flame propagation and the spark energy coming from the spark plug. So with today's materials in terms of kernel forming in the tip of the spark plug, in addition to the millijoules of energy that exists in a spark, meaning if you have a coulomb plug system with a high discharge versus a distributed system where there's not enough time to recharge between firings, you would notice that you can get away with a lot more with high energy coulomb plug systems than distributed. So that number is not a number that is set in stone. It's a number that is determinant on not only the quality of fuel coming into it, the type of fuel that is being used, how it's atomized, but definitely has a huge influence, uh, is being heavily influenced on the spark energy from the spark plug itself, which is pretty interesting. So that being said, AJ, here's my rule of thumb, because there's so many variables that have to be taken into consideration. Those numbers, that number, that 26 meters per second, 25, 23, 22, not as important as you being able to optimize a system as you build it very nicely. So what does that mean? As we discussed in the previous Tech Tuesdays, rod ratio has a very big influence on how much energy is being absorbed by side loading, but also can give you an advantage if you go lower in the rod ratio if you have a large port head. So begin with the end in mind. This is what I do. I think of a project and what I desire to have of it how much power plan I'm making and reliability, and what is acceptable in terms of output for me, or what's acceptable in terms of teardown and breakdown. And that determines how I build my engines and what parameters go into it. In a nutshell, use the most spark energy that's available to you and try to optimize the fuel as nicely as you can. And as we continue to have advance or, or steps forward in stratification in direct injection, we're gonna have an opportunity to play with that quite a bit. So I hope that helps. Someone just parked next behind me. I didn't know who that is. Anyway, okay. How does one interpret head flow, CFM to power potential? Is there a formula that figures it out? Yes, there is. So AP, many manufacturers tend to hold very close to their um, uh, chest that bit of information. I think that's Ivy who just who just came by. <laughs> so um, Ivy who just was here, he just came by in the back with a Mercedes. Anyway, um, there, my rule of thumb, which is very simple, I'll make this very, very simple for you. Um, <laughs> CFM is not the VO end all, even though it's the key for potential on the head, because your camshafts, how you actuate that makes a big difference. So, can you have a head that flows, let's say, at half a, let's say, point, 0.500 inches, and the head flows, let's say, 300 CFM? What if you put a camshaft that's only 250 lift? What happens then? It doesn't realize it. But let's say all things being equal. Let's say that you have the perfect head with a perfect camshaft to actuate and take advantage of that. That being said, a very loose rule of thumb at 25 to 26 inches of depression would be the same amount of power to the wheel as you may see at the head. 
So what does that mean? In the optimized setup, if you have a head that flows 400 CFM, you have a capability of doing 400 wheel horsepower NA. And this is in a four-cylinder, let's keep it simple, four-cylinder application. If you have one that flows 200, you have a chance of doing that 200 um, wheel horsepower. It's very loose. There are more algorithms that are involved, but that's a very loose way of being able to determine. So I hope that helps, based upon my experience. Leo, how are you? Good seeing you. Thank you so much. Akmal, hello as well. Good evening indeed, and thank you for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate that very much. Cycles um, asking, how did I learn all this? Well, my background is in engineering, and despite that, going to school to study what I wanted to study, I focused primarily on fluid dynamics in my chemical engineering curriculum. Above and beyond that, I've always been interested in cars since childhood, so everything I learned, I try to apply towards cars. Now, that put me in a position where I was very curious about how to make things ideal and how to make them very exciting. So, what did I have to do? I experimented my butt off, and I do that till today. I take concepts that are provided by academia. I take concepts that I've learned from people who are gurus in industry, and I put them to the test myself. And I document as I go along, and many times I'd fail. My goodness, I had tons of failures. Really bad failures. To where there's a point in time as a student that I'd experiment on my race car, my daily driven car at the time, which I used to race on the weekends, and 90% of the things I tested failed, but I learned from it. 10% did well. Fast forward to today, about 20% of the things I experiment with fail because of my experience so far, and 80% of them work extremely well, which is pretty nice. And that opens me up to great things, it opens me up to a lot of ridicule because people don't believe in some of the things I do, but I always think out of the box. But it also opens me to great opportunities, which I continue to learn and, and share with you guys. So why do I do this? Why do I explore an hour out of my time every week to share my experiences with you? Because this country has been good to me. As you may see, we have some people from Nigeria, and that's where I'm from. And this country has been very, very nice and very pleasant to me. So that being said, I do whatever I can to give back. And since manufacturers are very kind to me, for Mazda to give you the opportunity to experience their expertise in engineering... The least I can do is be able to share with the world my experiences, good, bad, or indifferent, and how I like the car. And this Mazda 6.9 is very nice, so I like it very much. Despite being very cloudy, and I've experienced it in snow, rain, heat, I went to the CES with it in Vegas, the large uh, convention that I shared some information later last week, and it's been absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much for the questions, you know. Different deepest have I had an experience with brisk spark plugs? Yes, and I know Martin, the owner, out here in the United States very well. So I've had an experience. We did a lot of experimentation with TRD as far back as 2006. And I like their technology. They really um, have done a great job with their silver brisk spark plugs. They have some new designs right now that do extremely well. Um, I like brisk and I like NGK. I like both brands very well. So I've had a great experience with that. Thank you so much, Kevin. Appreciate the kind words. Who makes good mods for CB7? Hasport. <laughs> By all means, give them a call, you know. Um, how do you know if, exhaust tur if a turbo is too small from the exhaust head flow setup? Um, by putting a sensor, a pressure sensor, in between the manifold, I would say the manifold flange and the turbine. When you start seeing very high, um, I would say, pressures, pressures that are two times the amount of what you create in the intake, that you know is too small. I don't like to go past two times the amount. So if I'm doing 20 PSI um, compressor pressure, I don't want to see more than 40 PSI back pressure. When I get in there, things, bad things start happening, AJ. But you have very good questions. Made in Brazil, <laughs> Pedro. You got Brazilians are so proud. I, I love it, you know. Sherm is asking my thoughts on the Supra. Um, I shared information a little bit earlier in our interaction today about how well 
I feel that uh, the aftermarket will embrace that platform primarily because of his heritage. I think it's cool. Um, I expected something like a little different, but the style kind of grew on me. Especially since Sam Du and John Sabao did this kind of render that kind of put some TEs on it and, and lowered it. It started looking very good. I think it's a perfect canvas for a lot of modification. Only Not only in the engine bay, in creating a lot more power than 335 horses, but also opportunities for aesthetics, which I think is good. I love blank canvases, which is right. Thoughts on a Vita Killer for a street strip car? I don't think that's a good idea, AP. If you, especially if you do more street and strip. Because your idle quality won't be as great. And above and beyond that, you don't have that low-end torque that Vitek gives you. Now, if you're a guy who barely drives on the street, by all means, have, have at it. I mean, I'm the first one to play around with non-Vitek engines and drive them on the street when I was in school. But it limited me to what camshaft I can go with. So if you want to be able to eat your cake and have it too, we can have low RPM grunt and high horsepower, high RPM capability. Vitek is a good option. Take it to the dirt. I know, Jeremiah, but the car leaves me tomorrow. I'd love to, but I haven't had a chance. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. Maybe I'll get my hands on it again, you know? Which Honda engine has the best head flow, and what are the figures for F22 or K20Z7? So, in terms of intake flow, AJ, the K24Z7, K24Z3 flows a lot more than anything else I've seen from inline four, from Honda, period. Um, on the exhaust... It would have to be the K24 from the TSX with individual individual four ports. F22A, I've seen factory 25 depression at 216 to 222, if my memory serves me correctly, which uh, those numbers flows more than a lot of Porter B series I've seen. The K24 Z7 is, is in the 300s, which is pretty nice. Any problems with switching back and forth from Purell to say a full synthetic? Well, that's interesting to say that, Leah, because... Pure oil is a full synthetic, especially if you're looking at the Elite Series, unless you're looking at the breaking oil, which is a mineral. Um, so there's no challenge going back and forth. One uh, challenge you will see is I've seen that when I switch over to another synthetic that's not as good as Pure oil, I tend to, which I haven't seen one yet, um, I tend to see on engines that have tappets, much louder tappets, um, I see some evaporative function, which I don't like, which means the oil tends to disappear a little bit, especially with the mobile one. Um... I tend to see less power, so I'm not a huge advocate of that. So I tend to stay with Pure All, which is pretty nice. AP wants to see a Beast of My NSX. You know, I'm going to meet with uh, Acura later this week, so I will keep it posted if I have any success with that, you know? Thank you, High Class Customs. I appreciate the kind words, you know? Have I done anything with the new Accord Turbo 2.0? Yes, I have. We have uh, played with one of my good friends who's used our facility to test. So we've done some K-Tuner flashes and cat deletes. And downpipes, which is pretty cool. And they make good power indeed, you know? So ITB Kevin says a good point. Says that the new Supra is, an, is, a, is a BMW in disguise. So here's the thing nowadays. It is more cost effective, Kevin and guys, for manufacturers to get together and build cars. It's more cost effective. You can share a lot more engineering. Um, Porsche, for example, one of the brands that I am partial to, especially in the aftermarket realm. Porsche did a lot with Subaru. And Toyota. So what a lot of Porsche guys don't know, and some of them call, you know, Honda's rice rockets and Toyota's rice rockets, which is interesting. But ASIN gearboxes, which are in a lot of the 996, 997, are ASINs, which are the Toyota brand for the gearboxes. Um, for years, Hyundai had a relationship with Mitsubishi. Dodge did quite a bit with Daimler. Now, Toyota 
had a great experience doing things with Subaru, and now is sharing some technology with BMW, which is not the first time they work together. So this is something that continues to happen, and it's, it's good. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's an opportunity where manufacturers can take the best of their worlds and combine them to create something very exciting, which is very nice, you know? Um, so Dippin' Deep, that's kind of a broad question. Dippin' Deep is asking, is there any power or gas mileage from a brisk silver plug versus NGK reading plug? So what I've seen what we tested with TRD is that we had a copper-based plug, which is from another manufacturer. I think it was... Uh, my What copper was that? I think it was Bosch. And we switched over to both Iridium NGK and switched over to Brisk Silver, and we gained power with both, which is pretty nice. So um, if you're comparing Iridium to Silver... The rear may have a slight advantage, but if you're comparing it to a copper, definitely either one you can't lose, which is pretty nice. Have I considered getting to a suspension setup and tuning set of cars at a shop? If so, I'll move from Canada to help. Thank you so much, Trevor. No, I haven't considered that. I am a huge internal combustion engine EV kind of guy. I focus mostly on the powertrain, and that's my, my expertise and my knowledge base and my interest. So no, I have not. So please forgive me. Is a standalone ECU best for a car with factory tunable factory PCM for performance upgrades? So Nick's asking, if I understand correctly, is a standalone ECU best for a car with a factory untunable factory PCM? Standalones give you advantage whether the ECM is tunable or not. So in other words, today you can have an opportunity to put a, let's say the S2000, a full-fledged Infinity, or you can flash it. So that being said, the A-Infinity gives me a lot more flexibility, allows me to live in a realm that's outside the limitations of the factory ECU. So when I tune a flashed S2000, I am limited to what I can do in terms of control of the drive-by-wire. I'm limited to what I can do in terms of knock per cylinder, which is very important for safety and reliability. But with a full standalone, I can not only tune individual cylinders for knock, sensing, and control, but safety as well. And do it based upon RPM and load, which is pretty nice. So that's just one of many things. Plus, it gives me ability to put in fail safes, which I cannot do with a factory ECU. So let's say I end up boosting um, an S2000 with a flash. I don't have the capability of controlling boost or safety based upon my boost levels or fuel content in terms, let's say, ethanol content. So with Infinity on S2000, I can easily have the opportunity to designate amount of boost based upon the content of ethanol in the fuel system. I can do that with a flash ECU. And what does that mean? That means I can lower boost automatically without the driver caring about that if the E85 goes to E10 or E20. And I can initiate a boost protocol that gives me more boost and more drivability when that concentration is much higher. And I can do that any other way. Have I worked with any Audi RS4s? Only flashed them for Canon flashes, but I haven't built one myself, Danny. Do I design? And what software do I use? Inyola is asking. Yes, I do quite a bit of design. And when it comes to... Oh, my God. It's almost like I'm going to be promoting them if I talk about it. But let's say um, I use a software program that is very user-friendly. Um, it's not SolidWorks. I don't use that. Um I don't know if I should tell you guys or not. Maybe think about that. <laughs> it's a good system. Put it this way. It's one that allows me to share information with any of the other engineers around the world. And you can adopt it easily. And it's cloud-based. So for those of you who are in that world, you probably figured out which software program I'm talking about. Um, so 
So following up on a previous question, Age is asking, are CFM and reliable power proportional assuming all things being equal? Um, CFM is just a capability for an engine. What you end up finding out is that most engines that have a very high CFM flow tend to have very low RPM uh, velocity capabilities, meaning the easiest way to get a lot more CFM for a head is a larger cross-section area. And it gets to a point where you start sacrificing low-end drivability for high RPM power. So it doesn't have much to do with reliability, it just has to do with drivability more than anything else. You know? Which plug do I use with Boost? So King, it depends. I kind of have a rule of thumb when it comes to Boost. So, you know, most, most engines come with like, let's say six heat range or seven heat range, some even five. But I tend to use this very loose rule of thumb. If I'm going 100 to 200 above factory um, horsepower ratings, I tend to go one step colder and continue with that until I run out of heat ranges. That's a very loose rule of thumb. The great way to do is to read your plugs to see if you're being able to burn off any contaminants on the porcelain. The reason why, I wish I had a spark plug to show you guys, but how a spark plug is differentiated from hot to cold is how quickly the porcelain joins the outside shell of the spark plug. So if a porcelain travels a long distance before it joins the shell, that means that, that porcelain gets pretty hot and can self-clean itself very easily. But sometimes that can create a hot spot and in introduce detonation. So when you have a quarter plug, what happens is that long porcelain tends to join the outside shell of the spark plug, you know, the part that threads in, much quicker. Hence, absorbing heat or releasing heat into the head much quicker, hence being a quarter plug. Put it this way, on engines that make three, 400 horsepower inline four engines, I tend to go with like a seven heat range plugs using NGK nomenclature. If I'm starting to hover into the six, 700 range, I go to an eight. When I start into four digits, I can go to a nine or a 10. So I hope that helps. Let's see. Black uh, come to me saying Dodge, Mitsubishi, Hyundai all have their vehicles. Four GNC63 was equal capability. Yes, that's true. Yes, they all differ. And a lot of those parts are interchangeable as well, you know. So let's see. Wow, so many great questions here. Am I left or right-handed? Uh, rise, I'm right-handed. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um... Have I ever thought of a possibility of developing b similar edition of a production car like Hennessy, Rush, or, or Celine? Yes, I have. And we got very close with Honda to some extent, but I don't know what happened with that. It didn't come to fruition. And Hyundai has posed some interest, but you never know. Maybe Mazda be the one, but I've given a lot of thought. I like to be able to provide on a larger scale my mindset or my touch on automobiles. So let's see what happens with Mazda. You never know. Good day, 211. S performance. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. I sincerely appreciate that. Um, wow, Minnesota's in the house. Dilly, I'm there from time to time. It must be really cold there in Minnesota right now, which is pretty interesting, you know? I think Good is asking, if I could rebuild one of my old builds using technology that was not available at the time, what would I do? Huh, that's a great question. So, I would probably rebuild the first Porsche I had, which is the Blue 911 with the two twin turbos hanging in the rear. That has an AM uh, Series 2 on it and doesn't run on flex fuel. I have water meth. I'd love to be able to, just on a simplistic level, upgrade to an Infinity and convert that to full flex fuel capability. I think that would release a lot more power on that, which would be very nice. And allow me to create a lot more power with a little bit more ignition timing as well, which should be nice, you know? Oh, it's not bad. 35 degrees. Dilly, if 35 degrees happened here at our shop, I think people would kill themselves. Which <laughs> is really crazy. That's pretty cold, but... That's good to know that you have a positive spin on that. Hello, Leo. Good seeing you. Thank you for joining me this afternoon as well. 
My pleasure, Nick. I'm here to help. Thank you, Theos. Theos? <laughs> Adam Bendov. Good afternoon, sir. So good to see you. Thank you, AP. I appreciate that. I'm here to help. My pleasure, indeed. Building 8th Gen Civic. I'd like to, DJ, but Honda kicked my butt. <laughs> they want me to really focus on newer things, so most likely if I build any Civic, it'll be a 10th Gen going into the 11th generation, you know? Uh, people wearing flip-flops around. Yeah, that's kind of common thing out in Hawaii, I'm sure. Hello, the perfect father. Very cool name, by the way. B20 VTEC versus LS VTEC. Any differences between this behind displacement? Well, it depends on what head you choose, but no, the displacement is a huge advantage. Um, so that being said, going from 1.8 to 2.0, there are opportunities there. One thing we did notice is that the sleeves from factory on the um, B20 is a lot thinner. So you have chances of some fracturing if you push it too far, but displacement is a good thing there by all means, you know? Do you only deal with powertrains and what's the path plan for the future? So Anula is asking a great question. Do you only deal with powertrains? That's what I typically deal with. So when it comes to anything suspension-wise, I tend to defer that to some of the experts, whether it's progress suspension or KW, I tend to go to those guys. When it comes to internal combustion engines, all the technology is being you know, utilized here in our facility. And we have the opportunity to create and design. And if it's something that we cannot manufacture in-house, we partner with people who can do that for us, meeting our exacting standards, and we make things happen. Well, now, what's the future? Well, I spent some very good time in Las Vegas this past week for a good reason. To explore the possibilities of future, I would say, technologies when it comes to propulsion. And everyone is going EV. You should see the booths that I put up last week for those of you who didn't join me. That um, Hyundai and Ford and Mitsubishi and Nissan. You should see what people are doing. They're, they're investing heavily in EV technology and combining, in many cases, petrol engines with electric motor technology or going full electric or using them as Mazda's playing with now a range extender. So that being said, you're gonna see a lot more EV applications and I am embracing that technology. So from BC Motor, you'll see a lot more hybrid technology and eventually full EV opportunities. Where cars will be electric and I'm a huge advocate of enjoying your cars. So um, level five autonomy, it's cool, but not really my thing. I like to see maybe a level four, maybe a pseudo level three where you can still take over and have interaction, where you can drive the cars properly when need be. But to allow you to have a more productive life, when you're driving, you can drive autonomously. I can interact with you guys or do some work or send emails or interact with the family, so on and so forth. So I hope that helps. What is better, K or B series from Honda or something better? Uh, the K is by far the B better than B series in terms of every way. Aftermarket support, head flow, so on and so forth. I understand that some people see the B-Series as a small block Chevy of the Honda world, but when it comes to technology, power potential, and so on and so forth, even though people are doing great things with B-Series, K-Series is, is, is vastly uh, superior in many ways. How many years have I opened my shop at BC Motor Engineering? I opened up to the public in 2006. So that's how long I've been open to the public. But I've been playing with cars and experimenting since 1994. So I've been doing this for quite a while. But prior to me having BC Motor Engineering available to the public, I was in the pharmaceutical sector, started off in research, and got into sales and leadership. Mac, please do share. <laughs> do I like racing? If so, what series and what car? Ivan, I love racing a lot. 
Racing is what got me into this business in the first place. It's what got me in trouble many times. I started off drag racing and now I have, you know, kind of mixed things up and I've done a little bit of half mile and a lot of bit of road racing as well. I was even a button willow this past Tuesday, which is pretty exciting. So that being said, a little bit of both, but in terms of seat time, I've done more drag racing than anything else. So forgive me if I haven't done a good job in sharing my racing background. It's something that put me where I am today. It's where I had to experiment to remain competitive, even though I was on a slim budget. And it taught me something very valuable for many years. You want to do it right the first time, it's much more cost effective. If you cheapen out on products, cheapen out on a way to get from point A to point B and solving your problems or getting to make your engines more efficient, you will pay for it a lot more. So that kind of put me in a position where I'm here to help and let you guys know that many times doing things cheap doesn't work out. Almost all the time. It's not worth it. Uh, so why did they flip the K-Series? I don't know what you mean by that, sir. I'm so sorry. Forgive me, you know. Would I ever get down on the street again? No, AJ. So I'm sorry, AJ. Hello, D-Ling. Good seeing you. I think AJ is referring to my street racing days. I, I'll be honest with you guys. I don't condone this. I didn't know any better. I was a young student. And I used to do a lot of street racing. And street racing put me in a position where I made lots of money. It was a lot of fun. I was in the bed of that in, in L.A. It was before the whole Fast and Furious thing. So we didn't have any problems. But once the, mu the movie came out, the first Fast and Furious, it kind of opened a lot of people up to that underground world. And a lot of people started being very irresponsible and getting hurt. So I came out to Ontario to race once and I saw someone pass away. I saw someone crash in a Mustang and die. And that was it. Cold track. I never street raced again. I kept it to the track. And ever since then, I've only done track racing in a controlled environment that's safe. You know? So, let's see. Thank you so much, High Cars Customs. Intake in the front, header in the back. Intake in the front, header in the back. So are you saying why did they switch it? Um, they did more than that. The rotation of the engine changed. So as you know, the D-series and the H-series, all those tend to turn kind of clockwise, which is not very common. Um, the K-series turned clockwise. So if you look at that in that application, it didn't really change. <laughs> the orientation changed. And based upon the direction of turning, things kind of stay the same. So it looks like that. But um, in terms of, even from a balance perspective, for those of us who drive on the part of the hemisphere where it's left-hand drive, it makes for a much more balanced application. So it is improvement no matter what, you know? What would be a good platform for an all-motor K engine? I would say what I use for my drag car, the 2006 Thereabout Insight, which is pretty nice. Ha! <laughs> You're funny, AJ. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Dilly. My pleasure indeed. Uh... Oh, nice. Oh, the car enthusiast. I remember that. I think we were in... Um... The interview, I think we were at the Honda Center in Anaheim. My pleasure. Anytime, sir. Thank you, Absolute Cannon. What kind of car did I street race? It was my 1988 Honda CRX. And what I should do, because I think we've reached a statute of limitations when it comes to that, what I think I should do is digitize a lot of tapes I have. I have a lot of tapes of street racing in Compton, in Wilmington. And, you know, Dr. Charles is there. I'm there. Lucky Mike. A lot of old school guys. Um, like real time, this is not perpetrating, this is real hardcore stuff, four or five hundred people, all racing, no problems whatsoever, some of the guys racing us were cops, yes, we had police officers racing with us, which is pretty crazy, and it was, you know, no problems, we didn't have any problems whatsoever, 
But that movie, as much as it's created a great opportunity and really put a shine of light on the car culture, um, it did horrible things for street racing. A lot of people who had no business doing it came out and people started getting hurt. And it created a lot of attention and got a lot of us in trouble. So I stopped, which is very nice, you know. Would I let my Ferrari loose in the wagon van for one take? Yes, I would. That's actually our plan. So I want to do some suspension changes, speaking of suspension, to the wagon, even today. Uh, there's some components I want to be able to draw up and have machined. Um, I may have to get a, a large CNC machine here and start doing my own things. But anyway, so there's some stuff I want to do. So by all means, um, after I do that modification and play with some more on the dyno, because I, I haven't had a chance. I've been taking care of customers and clients. I haven't done anything myself. So I want to be able to do that. Any chance of doing anything with the Miata? The ND? It's possible as we continue to solidify our relationship with Mazda. Stay tuned. I will definitely let you guys know. What's my life motto? Eniola's asking. Anything worth doing is worth doing well. And I try and do that in every facet of my life. From my personal life, to business, to technology. Anything worth doing is worth doing well. Yes, I do remember. Of course, the card is. Yes, I do remember. Bring the CRX back, fast NA single cam. Yeah, the Insight got much faster. So the Insight is at the office. I definitely am bringing that back. My CRX, I sold to one of my friends who's my electrician. Under the guys that they promised to be able to um, help me bring it back on the track where it belongs. And they haven't done it. I'm kind of sad. I probably should give them a call. But the Insight, by all means. Any ideas on Tuna Kehikan? How are you guys preparing for electric for the electric future? So, great question, Joa Pola. Joa Pacheco. Joa pa, jo Pacheco 91. Okay. Yes, there are ideas. Being able to get access to the inverters and control it differently can do a wonderful job in being able to tune Tacons, which is Porsche's answer to the Tesla. Putting Porsche's spirit, no substitute attitude, into electric vehicles. And how am I preparing? By exposing myself as much as possible to that technology through OEM manufacturers, through our own efforts, and attending as many seminars as possible that embrace that technology, including what I went to last week in Las Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show. If I was to become RX-7, how would you go about making stupid power with a rotary? First, I would educate myself immensely on the Wankel engine. I wouldn't use a Renesis because I do understand the challenges that they have with seals and the ports and how the exhaust port tends to go through a more convoluted manner. So I'd probably use the earlier Legacy 13B I would definitely go multi-rotor. So I would do something like a 20, row, a 20, a, you know, a B20 or 20B. Uh, it would definitely be a four-rotor at a minimum, probably. Three-rotor, maybe. Four-rotor, definitely something I like to do. So the more rotors for me, the better. That's what I would do. And of course, I'll boost it because I love boost power. I love how those things sound, you know? When one door closes, another does open. That is correct, DJ Radmarov. Good seeing you, sir, in Southern California. I appreciate that indeed. Would I ever sell the Odyssey? I don't plan to, but... For the right price and the right enthusiast, I probably would, you know? My pleasure, Eniola. I appreciate the kind words all the way from Niger. Thank you so much, you know? What would be the highest reliable RPM for an overhead cam engine without considering an engine a consumable? It depends primarily on the rocker assembly. So I've seen that has been the weakest spot on an engine. So roller rockers, which are quite heavier than finger follow rockers, which are much heavier than direct interaction with a bucket or multiple buckets. And the weight and design of those. So we've seen um, pseudo bucket rocker arm assemblies that don't last very well post 7200. 
I've seen uh, finger follow rocker arm assemblies that last very well into the 10,000 range. And then buckets, you can, wow, you can do 20,000 RPMs, 17,000 RPMs, 18,000 RPMs, which is also determined on weight. So, AJ, great questions, but so many factors are involved with that, which is pretty interesting. Most memorable engine failure I've had. Ooh, that's a good one. Palmdale with my D-Series, where I was being cheap. <laughs> so what I mean by being cheap, I decided that I didn't want to invest in connecting rods when I was playing around with my D-Series NA, which is a D-15 I built. So I went and had custom pistons made. No problem there, right? But I used LS rods for my drag program. So I take LS rods, I would remove the forging marks, flash forging marks on it. Then I would shot peen them and then use factory new rod bolts. And I felt that was the best solution for me for high RPM power. And I think at the time I was making maybe 186 to the wheels with the D-Series at the time, NA. And I was in Palmdale racing. I was in the semi-final round against a B-Series guy. And we began the race and one of my rods let go. The smaller end of my rod cut. And by the way, these are used rods, not new rods. So as the rod broke, I didn't let off the track. I had to beat this B-Series guy. It's starting to rain. Hey. Anyway, so I'm mashing out. I'm in third gear. Engine lets go. Plume of smoke. I'm beating the guy. I didn't let off. So I stayed in it. Won the race, but I oiled a majority of the track. When I went to the pits, there was a big window in my block. And then the, the, the remnants of my catastrophe was so bad that it actually cut into my gasket with this large window and the rod just hanging out. Now, here's what was weird. Why is this so memorable? Yeah, I, I threw a rod. I put a nice window in my engine. But the sanctioning body, battle of the imports at the time, wouldn't pay me for being, let's say, third place or runner-up or second place, whatever the case may be, if I didn't break the beam at the light. So I had my team. If Big John is here, you can attest to this. We pushed the car all the way to the line. Hole in block. The guy was racing the finals next to me. And then when it had time for us to stage, I started the car, <laughs> ringing and bling, 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 all this noise, and broke the second beam and turned it off. Oiling the track again, just so that I can make money <laughs> for that second place. Of course, I didn't win because the guy launched and then nothing happened with me. But I broke the beam um, by pre-staging and staging and got my second place trophy and resources. That was a pretty crazy thing and. The track officials weren't happy that I oiled the track. When you are drag racing, if you have a, a failure, the thing to do is to pull over to the side. You just stop the car as, quick, as safely as you can and pull over. And that's a great thing. It's for your safety and, and, and for saving resources for the track. But I was being very naughty, which is pretty sad, you know? Was it meant to build a vehicle similar to your Odyssey? So, DV, I built that, the team built that Odyssey in seven weeks, and it cost me $50,000 to do. $50,000, $51,000. So, it's pretty pretty expensive at the time because a lot of things were custom one-off to replicate it now may shave since we already did a lot of the homework man you know the challenge was the integration of the harness into the system and allowing everything to work like factory because the pdm does talk to my ecu to my standalone probably in the 30s you can probably replicate it in the 30s Hello, Mama Lakis. Good seeing you. 
Hello. Greetings, DJ in Brazil. Part Auto. Of course. I love to run them. They're great. <laughs> Did you find if you drop antifreeze or oil on the track? Nowadays, I think they do. Um, at the time, they didn't require us to have a diaper. Yes, like a diaper. That's what they call it. But now, you have to have a diaper or some containment device. Or you could be, you know, definitely fined, you know. Hello, S2 Boost. Good seeing you. Good morning, Boosted FC3. Greetings. Hope all is well. And I don't know if you got my email. I did write back to you today. It was pretty nice. I've been, it's been extremely busy here with me being away. C. Perez, have a great one as well. Yeah, we're getting close to that time. Instagram tends to cut me off if I don't do something, you know, nice, you know. Ronsworth says, thank you for that golden nugget, BC. I assume the LS ride was good until about 400 horsepower. That's with the LS motors. Uh, I also want to thank you for your vernacular, listening to someone such as yourself speak. Actually becomes intelligent. I applaud you for that. Thanks for the kind words. I appreciate that indeed, you know. Uh, my fastest quarter mile, 80 zips is asking. Uh, 920 is the fastest I've done. And um, uh, that was in my insight, my NA insight, which I hope to go faster with my wagon. <laughs> it was pretty interesting, you know. Thank you so much, 64 Steve. Appreciate that, you know. We have a chance, brother. I DM you, okay, as, as to boost. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I appreciate all that. I get so many DMs. And I, there are times I literally spend an hour and a half sitting down trying to respond to everyone. It's so difficult, but I'm trying my best. So thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you, 80zips. My pleasure indeed. Thank you. So, guys, oh, wow. Okay, it's time. So I do have to depart. But once again, thank you so much for interacting with me today. And thanks also to Mazda for allowing me the opportunity to explore this beautiful CX-9. This absolutely gorgeous car. Offers a lot more than you typically see in a car twice the amount. I mean, I expect to see this kind of technology and luxury in cars that are deep in the six figures. So thank you so much. Um, Black is asking, um, what happened to the Turbo Hybrid CRZ? It's right here in my office. So, um... I was able to send it to one of my good friends, who's my bank manager, and um, he felt that the 500 horsepower plus was too much, so we detuned it to 350, because he was breaking transmissions like crazy, so it's detuned, but it's here in my facility for safekeeping. Be someone at ASX, amen, thank you so much, you know, appreciate that, you know. Um, oh, wow, so, oh, such good questions, and now I have to go, but, so now I ask you a question, he said, now that I started in the pharmaceutical field, how much did that impact my perspective in the current terrain? It impacted significantly. It really allowed me the opportunity to interact with people who are in a more technological field, being pharmaceuticals, and I was in pharma research before I went to, to uh, sales or before, and before I get to leadership. But I tend to use that ability to interact with people on my day-to-day -day activities here. From a technology perspective, I don't use that technology in what I do automotive-wise, but when it comes to interacting with people, it's pretty nice. Kevin says I really don't have to go, um, but they're going to cut me off if I don't. Okay, let's give it a few more. Let's give it a few more minutes. Um, so I was saying, Mazda, thank you so much for the great opportunity to drive this CX-9. It's awesome. Extremely stable. I am sold on all-wheel drive terrain if I wasn't even before in my wagon. But the interior is beautiful, and I feel so sad I have to give this back. But such is life. I should probably buy one of these. This is very nice. My family loved it immensely. Thoughts on the new Super Z4? You missed it, sir. Or madam, <laughs> you missed it. Um, I talked about it a lot. In a nutshell, 
I think it's a good platform. I appreciate the engineering prowess of both companies and how they combine to come up with a platform that can be enjoyable by different types of enthusiasts. I look forward to it being a blank canvas for the aftermarket. And I look forward to possibly playing around one of those and creating some opportunities for people to enjoy it better and to create opportunities for people to make it their own. You know? A busy Miata would be great. Kevin, stop it. I would love to be able to play with that because I had a lot of fun with the MX-5. For a car that doesn't have that much power, it's a lot of fun. So all it needs is some beast motor magic and that thing would be awesome. And I'd love to be able to build one and document it. Largest engine I've ever physically built would be one out of the 5th Gen Viper. 8.4 liters of fury. That's a big engine. Quite simple too for an engine that existed in the past decade, which is pretty interesting. Rainy San Francisco is in the house cycle. Thank you for joining me. And, you know, it's going to rain here very soon, too. It's already starting to sprinkle. But I'm inside this. Look at the seats. Look at, look at how awesome this seat is. This is so great. It's so wonderful. Greetings as well. It's, it's, it's amazing. And for those of you who didn't, who didn't catch this, who came in late, I talked a lot about piston coatings. This is a Tron piston with a ceramic battery coating, hard anodized side, and also a molly. And we talked about that quite a bit. Yep, a pushrod V10. That's exactly what it is. That's camshaft right in the middle. It's pretty interesting. Anyway, okay, guys, have a great one. It's a pleasure interacting with you. And I do take criticism constructively. So for those of you listening to me on the podcasting, for those of you seeing me on Instagram, and for those of you on YouTube, please, anything you can do to allow me to improve on this, I'm here for you. Would you like me to talk more tech? Would you like me to have different vehicles? Would you like me to get more in-depth, have more of a review of the cars I'm in? Let me know. I'm here to help. Chess Republic. Wow, this is great. To have a global audience makes me feel great. But anyway, guys, I must fly. Plus, my good friend Avi's over here. Hello, Alfie. Thank you so much, Black. Good seeing you. Um, talk to you soon. See you next week. Cheers. Take care.